Hello and welcome to the A Beautiful Game podcast, you are wise middle of the week podcast talking about all things football, surprise. Joining me today as per usual, Alex Tam Brown, Harry and Josh, hello. Hi there. Hello. And we're going to start with our games of the weekend, our favourite matches that took place over this weekend that we either did or didn't cover on A Beautiful Game and my choice is a bit unconventional but I think I could do a good job of explaining why it absolutely deserves Game of the Weekend. I'm going to talk about Doncaster Rovers 3, Hull City 3, and since we're not going to cover it later, I might as well just go into it fully. Let's start with the fact that Doncaster Rovers weren't wearing their home kit, despite this being at the Keymote Stadium. You might know over the last few years they've been collaborating with the charity Calm, which is the campaign against living miserably. Really recommend them. Visit thecalmzone.net if you want to read more about them. And they have been doing a lot of good stuff. They partner with Doncaster Rovers every year to make a third kit, and this year it was designed by James Coppinger, who is of course retiring at the end of the season. He got to design the kit, he went for gold in the end, because gold is a colour of celebration, they're his words, not mine, though I do agree. And fantastic game, really attacking throughout, both sides seemed to forget what defence was for most of it, and... James Coppinger, first of all actually Malik Wilkes played really well for Hull City after scoring a hat-trick against Wigan, but James Coppinger in the 102nd minute hitting a free kick straight into the top corner. It's what you want to see, it was the perfect end into a game and obviously he's got the rest of his season to go, but I think that will be the defining moment of this final season in James Coppinger's career. A true Doncaster Rovers icon getting the equaliser in the 12th minute of added time, you love to see it. Doncaster 3, Hull 3, my game of the weekend. If I was going to go more conventional, I would have picked a game from Italy, but we'll talk about that later on. Alex Tamp-Brown, your game of the weekend. Liverpool are falling apart again, boys. Uh, <laughs> I went with uh, Liverpool nil, Everton 2. Everton's first win at Anfield since, I think it was either 1999 or 2000. Um, it makes Liverpool four losses on the bounce in the Premier League. And Everton are only seven goals behind them in the Premier League table, but they have a game in hand. Same amount of points, Everton on the up, Liverpool on the down. Beautiful game to watch. And there may be, it may be, an article coming out about Liverpool's season this year. Or, well, not Liverpool's season, but other seasons that are kind of like Liverpool's season this season. So, stick around for that. Anyway, next, Josh, your game of the weekend. Okay, yeah, and I go to Italy with uh, Inter's 3-0 win over Milan in Serie A to take them four points clear. This was a landmark win for Antonio Conte's side, uh, Lutaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku with the goals. And they are the third most prolific duo this season with 35, just behind uh, Fernandes and Rashford with 39 goals and Lewandowski and Muller with 40. So they're really doing the business for Inter. Uh, like I say, absolutely landmark in a season which doesn't see Juventus dominate Syria, and we've got a real proper classic Inter v Milan title race, which is really nice to see. Um, but yeah, utterly dominant from uh, from Inter and uh, Conte side well on top in the race for the Syria title. Absolutely, and finally, have your game of the weekend. Yep, unlike last week, I am actually <clears throat> sorry going to go for a game from the weekend. I'm going to go for West Ham versus Tottenham, which is a weird one because I'm struggling to find a game that I uh, watched over the weekend to actually be my game of the weekend. I didn't watch this game, but I did follow um, live sort of commentary of it. Um, and it just cements something that I'm sure we'll talk about at another point, but how West Ham 
are doing really well this season. And sort of the loan deal for Heze Lingard was an inspired decision at West Ham by whoever pulled that one out of the bag. Um, the one thing to say about Tottenham, though, is obviously they were diabolical in the first half, um, was that they brought Gareth Bale on and he actually did the football, apparently. There was a couple of moments of um, some good trickery and hit the post quite late on and it looked like they might even they might have even got an equaliser going into the closing moments, but obviously fell just short. So, yeah, my game of the weekend, West Ham Tottenham. Okay, let's move into the Premier League then as we discuss more of the fixtures. And we've already sort of mentioned it, but we'll start with the Merseyside derby. Liverpool nil, Everton 2. It's Everton's first win at Anfield since the 1999-2000 season back when Kevin Campbell was playing for them. We all remember and love Kevin Campbell. So, monumental. I mean, if you didn't believe that Liverpool were out of the title race before this game, surely you think they're out of it now. You have to do. This was uh, ridiculous. Um, I think it was his second minute. A beautiful, beautiful way to pass from Hamas Rodriguez, by the way, for, for Richarlison. Oh, but a lovely pass. Lovely pass. I, I said I didn't see the I did, and I wanted to be conservative because I thought Liverpool would turn up. I thought, surely in the Merseyside derby, poor in the form, this is the game for them to, to at least get a draw. I knew they were weak, and I knew that the centre-half situation. But, boy, were they amateur absolutely amateur and you know yes obviously the cigarettes and penalty sealed it but i didn't really feel like oh, everton wonder much substantial threat to be honest with you i know they knocked on the door liverpool but they look a shadow of their former side yeah i think everton's defense was absolutely fantastic uh characterized by uh one particular moment when Ben Godfrey stepped out of defence and absolutely slid the ball into row Z of the opposite uh, opposite half as well. They were just monumental in how they stopped Liverpool, especially Salah and Mane going forward. Salah was really not having a good game today. Today? Oof. They're not playing on the Wednesday that we're recording On the day. This. On the day. Um, he, he tried to win a penalty at one point through what I can only be described as an outrageous foul from the grass. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Liverpool's day and it was day for the past few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I watched this and I think my prediction was a 2-1 Everton win. I'm, I, I will probably have to check that. But I was confident that Everton actually would turn up on this occasion and just the lack of defensive organisation between a goalkeeper and the two centre-backs at Liverpool would define the game. And Jordan Henson going off after... I'm not going to lie, it might have been only 15 minutes. I'm not sure about that. But with a groin injury, which could see him out for the next 12 weeks, um, basically just ended the tie as soon as that happened. Because just as soon as that happened, you just expected Everton to win. Um, And obviously there was a very controversial penalty call, uh, which every Liverpool fan, I'm sure, thought was not a penalty. But it was a penalty. It was a penalty. And I might have been tempted to give it. I might have been tempted to give a red card for it. if, If David Louise gives that penalty that he gives away a few weeks ago and gets sent off for it. Trent Alexander-Arnold gives away that penalty and gets sent off for it. It doesn't matter if it's accidental, right? If he tried to play the ball, it should have been a yellow card. But because he hasn't tried to play the ball and he's played the man accidentally, it's technically a card. Surely that David Luiz argument's a bit weak, though, because two wrongs don't make a right. Unless you're saying that that was a red card. I'm saying in terms of if you're going to be consistent with... That's what it should be. I don't agree that 
the uh, David Luiz one should be a red card. I don't believe that Trent Alexander-Arnold should be sent off, but I believe it's a penalty because he has denied a clear goal-scoring opportunity, unfortunately. Hmm. Interestingly, Accident Jamie Carragher... or not, it's, oh, it's a penalty. Yeah. yeah. Jamie Carragher... Sorry, it's it's just only because the amount of times you see... Go, Alex. Jamie Carragher was commenting about this on the Monday Night Football because, of course, he was commentating on the game. He said, Seems like I've upset some Liverpool fans with my commentary during the derby. I'm not apologising for it. They aren't exempt from criticism. Defenders being out, midfielders playing centre-back does not mean they can't win home games against Everton, Brighton, Burnley and West Brom. What do we make of them comments? He's 100% right. This mm-hmm. is a Liverpool team that stormed to a Premier League title and got 96 points the previous year before. Yeah, fair enough, you can say there's a little bit of burnout. But if you're there purposefully playing Jordan Henderson at centre-back and I'm not saying he can't play at centre-back but I'm saying play centre-backs at centre-backs, play central midfielders at central midfield and plug in the gaps where you need to plug in the gaps and you'll be okay. I feel I feel Nat Phillips, the young centre-half for Liverpool would feel really disrespected by the fact that he's a natural centre-back and Liverpool actually looked more competent defensively when he came on for Jordan Henderson I don't know why Klopp is persisting with playing players out of position. I mean, I'd said this when we saw the lineups that when you looked at their midfield for Liverpool and it was a midfield of Wijnaldum, Thiago and Curtis Jones, I said immediately there is not a defensive midfielder there. And given their defensive worries, you would have thought they would have played one, if not two defensive midfielders rather than, well, one box-to-box midfielder slash two and one creative midfielder. But it's, Harry, it, it was Harry Thiago controlled the tempo. <laughs> oh yeah, but <laughs> you, were, you need you need the ball. <laughs> they didn't even have the ball half the time. Liverpool. Look, yeah. Looking at Liverpool's lineup compared with Everton's lineup, the midfield three that they went with of Jones, Wijnaldum, and uh, was it, it was Thiago? Yeah, coming up against James, Andre Gomez, Ducure, and was Tom Davis playing as well? Tom Davis did start. Yeah, and those four because they they they. They lined up in a five-four-one, but a very compact five-four-one with yeah. the only only natural wide players being the wing backs, um, which meant it was impossible to play through the centre, which is what Liverpool like to do because Salah will cut through on his left foot, um, and yeah, it was just dangerous because Liverpool playing very high against Richarlison, who I think is probably one of the most underrated uh, utility players in the league because he can play as a striker sometimes and has always excelled when he plays there. Yeah, I was going to say with. With the, comparing the two midfields, take that Everton four over that Liverpool three any day of the week. Absolutely. I don't see Wijnaldum, I don't see Thiago, I don't see Curtis Jones getting into that Everton midfield. Ducure was almost the linchpin for that Everton midfield and all, almost the sort of player that was there. Everything good went through him, forward. yeah. Yeah. Got the ball and passed it out to Gomez or James. That's when Everton went forward. Tom Davis produced a very good display again for Everton as well, despite almost looking like he was on his way out the door a few like a few transfer windows ago, I believe it was. Everton are starting to look like a proper top six challenger. I won't say a top six side, but a top six challenger. I'll ask that question now then to the other two. Everton currently seven, 40 points, three points behind Chelsea in fifth, five behind West Ham in fourth. Can they challenge for Europe? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. They've they've got the squad to do it. They've got the form to do it. You know, look at some of those players that are say in the West Ham side, for example, um, or the Leicester side. You can't tell me how it's Rodriguez doesn't get into those sides. You can't tell me Richardson doesn't get into those sides. Uh, Decore, they've got 
Michael Keane even, they've got a really good spine. Um, the problem can be when either Calvert-Lewin's not playing or they just have a poor lack of form, they're not massively creative. They've had some issues there, sure, but they've got the personnel to do it. And if they can get a good run of form, I, I see no reason why yeah. not. They've had some injury worries, which has caused a sort of dip in form because they were in the top four up until James Rodriguez got injured. Uh, I think it was before uh, the new year. And I guess West Ham probably have not had the same worries, although Mikel Antonio has been a bit in and out of the squad lately because of fatigue. Um, so, yeah, it does require Everton to keep a squad injury free. But if they can, they will be back on that run of form, I expect. Um, they just need to not do a thing where they lose 2-0 to Fulham. Because that's not good for a, you know, a top four race. Sure. Yeah. Final thing to mention, then before we move on to the next game, just because people have been saying it on Twitter... Klopp burnout, is there such a thing and does he need to step back and have a year off from football? Ooh. Um, maybe not burnout. Oh, I think there's plenty of managers that can have burnout. We often see Mourinho has a bit of a first and second season pick up and then drops off. I think that's happened a bit quicker than we expected at Tottenham. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know the situation. I think it's more... There's a couple of players who are injured and out of the squad and therefore the team's lacking a couple of leaders at the minute. So Henderson's obviously one of the key members of that squad. And Van Dijk is a notable leader as well. Uh, not having them around on the training ground probably doesn't help. And there's always been rumours circulating that Firmino's on his way out because he's just not as good as he was and they're looking to replace him. Or the fact that Mane or Salah are more disinterested in Liverpool and looking to clubs elsewhere. But there's a million reasons why you could say Liverpool aren't playing well. I think at the minute it's just a, a bad lack of form and a lack of players here and there. That's fair. Um, Klopp himself, I know he's had some some personal struggles as well. Wish him all the best for that. Um, maybe that combined with with everything else, maybe he just needs to take a little bit of time out for, for his own sake. I don't know, but I, I would agree with Harry. I don't feel like that's the issue. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a squad of players, which is more or less the same as it was two years ago when they won the Champions League, right? You know, there's, OK, Thiago, but realistically, what's he added to the Liverpool side? It's mostly the same. Those players are probably burnt out themselves. There's there's not been a lot of uh, development. Look at, right, OK, look at City's squad and look at Liverpool's squad for the last two or three years. City have, have put so much in. They've revised slides. They've now got Stones and Diaz playing well. Uh, Cancelo, uh, Rodri in the midfield. Uh, they... Uh, release company and silver some big players Aguero is not in the size that that is a very very different animal to the one it was two years ago um contrast that with Liverpool it's the same side for the last two or three years they're probably just burnt out themselves and needs some vice-sizing signings to be honest with you fair enough okay we'll move on to the next game then Craven Cottage for Fulham 1 Sheffield United nil. there's actually a chance after we'd all written them off that Fulham <laughs> could survive I feel really mm. bad for Fulham because at the start of the year they lost, I think it was four games on the bounce and everyone just sort of went, right, they're gone, see you later, goodbye. And I think what actually happened is Scott Parker looked at those four games and instead of trying to just stick with his own personal philosophy, he became a bit more pragmatic with the teams he was facing. And he started to play more against the team that was in front of him rather than with the team he had. And there's a lot. There's a big difference when you start doing that, especially when you've got the, t I say the quality of teams above you like Newcastle. And I'm not saying Newcastle are a good quality team, 
I'd say they're definitely a bottom half Premier League team that are currently underperforming and due to their over-reliance on Callum Wilson have found themselves in a relegation battle with a Fulham side that were completely written off. And if West Brom and Sheffield United out them uh, this season, they would be looking, well they should be, fighting for survival. Unfortunately they're not, but Fulham have managed to, to get themselves almost into a position of almost a great escape akin to sort of West Brom 0506, although not that dramatic of about course. About to say. Not that dramatic of course, but they've slowly built up over the season. And I worry for Newcastle and actually I worry for Southampton as well because I don't feel like 38 points is what's going to keep you up this season. I think you're going to need something like 40 considering how West Brom and Sheffield United have almost been the Premier League's whipping boys this year, unfortunately. I actually have to agree. I think Newcastle really are slipping into danger of uh, becoming full-on in that relegation battle. Um, Fulham, I thought, actually were unlucky to lose to Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, 1-0. They really deserved a draw out of that game as well. And if you look at the squad they've got, they've got a very good squad. Adam Ola-Lukman's been fantastic for them at times this season. It's just, I guess, occasionally they've just not completed the job. Um, I think Southampton are probably unlikely to fall into the relegation battle. They were really good against Chelsea and fully deserved the draw uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Um, but... Yeah, Newcastle are the team that I'm looking at and going, without Callum Wilson, they really do not look you know, able to do anything. They look toothless. So it could be an interesting one to follow. OK, we'll move on then to the next game from Sunday from the London Stadium. West Ham 2, Tottenham 1. We'll get the obvious question out of the way. Do Spurs need to sack Jose Mourinho? No. And, th- and this is Arsenal yeah, fan, Alex Tamper out. No, um... <laughs> I think it's we've seen with with managers like Oli Gunnar Solskjaer at, um, at Man United that sacking managers isn't necessarily the way forward. Oli was under a lot of pressure. I think it was last season after a very poor run of games, and Man United stuck by him, and he started. Man City, having had a what by their standards was a poor season last season, and Man City didn't sack their manager, and look at them now, they're top of the league by. Well, they're they're beating their title rivals Liverpool by 19 points already in the season. As much as I love Mourinho losing, and as much as I love Tottenham losing, I don't think the the way is to sack him unless things start to really spiral out of control, and a team like Wolves or Palace overtake Tottenham, which isn't inconceivable. He's saying he's more motivated than ever. Do you um, believe? Do you agree with that? He no. has to surely. I mean, he has uh, to. He has to say that. He has to say that. He can't not say that. Yeah. And I think, honestly, if he wants to sort of recover his legacy, maybe he should be. Is oh, he? Come on. I, I'm not. No, but think about it. Right? Is, do you class Mourinho in the same bracket as Guardiola and Klopp anymore? No, probably not. Um, I agree. I agree with Alex completely. There are. I would say two times when United could have sacked Ole uh, last season and early stage of this season, stuck by him, and you know he's always turned up reasonably something. Uh, I don't know whether it's the right decision here, but does he look motivated? He should do, but probably not. Here's a question: Is the Spurs squad as it is 
as good as the Man United squad he was managing. Because no. I'd argue they're probably on no. the same pecking order, if not no. worse. I, I, I don't think, you think about the star players. Spurs, yeah, Spurs the Man United squad he had. Mm. Sorry, I was going to say, Spurs yeah. overperformed for about three years, right? Where they were in a title race with Leicester. And because everybody else was just so much worse, everyone saw Spurs, you know, charge into second and eventually finish third. And was like, oh, okay, this is a team that could challenge for something and not realise that everybody else was a bit rubbish that season. And then so Spurs got hyped up a little bit. They then make a Champions League final by what was the look of the draw, really. Mm. I don't think they performed exceptionally well in that Champions League run. And everyone thought, was like, oh, God, this Spurs side, really, really brilliant. Mm. Then they sat Maurizio Pochettino, which wasn't a good idea in the first place. Just look at what he's doing now with PSG. And in all fairness, point- anyone could do that with PSG. Yeah, and they've appointed Mourinho, and they've still relatively got the sort of same squad. Harry Kane, whilst a good striker, right? I don't think he's reliable enough for a whole season to be able to get you 25 goals. Son, yeah, he's good enough. But then you look at players like Mora, Lamella, and I think that whole midfield, it doesn't scream top four quality. Especially when you look at the team like Manchester City, when they've got... Sterling and Mares starting, and Bernardo Silva starting, and they've got Kevin De Bruyne on the bench. They've got Aguero on the bench, and they've Jesus, got quality yeah. teeming through that squad. Man United as well. As much as I like to say they're a crap team, right? <laughs> they have got qualities going through that side, especially a side that is quality enough to be able to go where Manchester United want to go and to be mm-hmm. able to fit the system. Spurs don't have that, and I don't think. Unless they have a massive rebuild of the squad, I don't think their ambitions marry up with how their squad can actually perform at its peak. Can I just say as well, actually, my personal theory about that 2015-16 Spurs squad is the reason they were so hyped, um, among anything else, was the fact that this was different. Oh my God, Spurs competing. That's different. That's fun. It wasn't really because it, it wasn't you know fun. they were fantastic, and let's <laughs> let's just remember that they lost out in a title in a two horse title race by coming third against Leicester, you know, five thousand to one Leicester. So that's not great. That's like the second favorite in the national losing to a donkey or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> so I mean, you're not wrong that that yeah. 2015 Leicester side is you had Kante, Mares, and Vardy, Schmeichel. Maybe Morgan, right? Drink water and all that. Bobby Booth, come on. But... Oh, do you remember that free kicky <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but that that side should not be beating that Spurs. I know, I know they were overhyped, but they shouldn't be beating Spurs. They shouldn't be, you know, beating any of the top six. They it, that was a, a very fluky season, admittedly with a very very good that's the side, but. Spurs were overhyped because if they weren't underhyped, they they would have done the business, right? They would have gone that extra mile and not finished third in a two horse race. <laughs> this this was a Spurs that lost five one to Newcastle on yeah. the final day, and on that team that played against Newcastle, you can still see what is kind of the core of the Tottenham team. Eric Dyer's still there, Kane's still there, Lamella's still there, Alderweireld, Alderweireld, Larice are all still there, and then. I think if you stack up Spurs' squad against the rest of the so-called big six in the Premier League, who are you taking above the rest of those squads? I'd say Kane maybe gets in there, all of them. I'd say possibly Son. 
does anybody else really get into the teams with the way, in terms of the style of play that each team plays and in terms mm. of the quality of play that each team has? I mean, off the top, all right, I can only speak for United here, but they'd probably take Kane because Cavani obviously doesn't really do the business and Martial is, is poor these days. But oof, other than that, maybe Alderweireld for a centre-half, maybe. But you, You'd have to take it on the balance of, of form for some players, definitely. Yeah, may, maybe two, okay, maybe two. But in terms of two, two star-quality players, you'd probably mm. only take two or three out of each of those squads for... In, into comparison to City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. Sure. Right. And we're talking about Liverpool not having a good squad here as well. Yeah. Let's quickly move on to West Ham because we have been spending far too much time talking about ninth in the league Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel sorry for West Ham here. We've, we've yeah. gone on a complete run about Tottenham. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, they played really well. I'll be honest. I... I've never been against David Moyes as a manager. I think with Moyes is actually he's a very good foundation builder for teams. Everton weren't classed as almost the seventh oh, side. They in, were, yeah, they in were the constantly on the verge of going down before yeah. Moyes came in. He comes in and he builds up this solid foundation, and he's very frugal in the transfer market. He's not a wheeler and dealer, but he knows how to bring someone in. Got to main Beckford on a three. I mean, he wasn't that good for Everton, so I you mean, were the real winner. You take that back. <laughs> but yeah, he's a good, solid foundation builder. And if West Ham want to progress to where Everton are right now, David Moyes is a really good long-term manager for them to have for the next three, four years, whilst they build the foundations of a of a good squad. And if they build it around Declan Rice as well, they could realistically challenge for the new Euro- um, European competition, the Conference League. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I don't with see that. why they can't go for that and have that as their ambition. Mm. I mean, Just as an aside, sorry, I feel like Rice or Suchet could go in the summer. There, there's teams like Liverpool, like Man United, um, who want a defensive midfielder. I'm sure there are others as well. If, uh, if West yeah. Ham qualify for Europe, though, and say if they do the impossible and qualify for the Champions League, mm-hmm. and Liverpool don't. Do you leave West Ham in the Champions League group stages? Not this season. To go to Liverpool in the possibly the Conference League. Not this. Maybe next season. Not this season. Yeah. Out of interest as well, let's say West Ham actually do make the Champions League. Is David Moyes manager of the year? Absolutely. With that, I don't argue with someone yeah. else, but, but I don't think you can at that point. I think there's one other person I would put into that bracket, and I think uh, pips into it, and that would be Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. Because if West Ham are getting in the Champions League, I Leicester can't are, imagine yeah. it's at the expense of Leicester because they have been excellent this year and are by a long mm. way still the second best team in the league. Maybe, if, maybe it's because Leicester have been sport over the last few years, though, but it does feel like West Ham make the Champions League will be more significant, more yeah. surprising. If Fulham stay up, I, I'm going to bang the Scott Parker drum. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I mentioned this in my championship review last year. He actually is really tactically apt and he's not given enough credit for it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I remember, I think I might have read that actually, but it was it was quite obvious that when he went down uh, with Fulham, that the, the club were basically like, no, but you recognise you're actually a very good manager. You just haven't had long enough with the squad. You haven't been able to build a squad around what you want with them. He gets promoted in the first season, in the uh, his first season in the championship, and he's not doing a terrible job with Fulham at the minute because nobody expected them to be higher than where they are right now. 
but there's actually a chance they could stay up, which would be an amazing job by Scott Parker. Yeah, absolutely. I think also oh. the most dangerous thing for Fulham is if Tottenham sacked their manager because I think they go for Scott Parker. That wouldn't be unreasonable. Former player, former club captain. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. And you, you sort of mentioned the start of the season for them. I saw people writing them off after the Arsenal game, which was their first game of the year. I was like, it's a bit early. Like There are 37 games remaining. Anyway, we'll quickly go on to the final two games I want to mention from the Premier League. Arsenal nil, Manchester City won. Let Alex Tam Brown vent, obviously. <laughs> but it does feel weird that the Arsenal fans are going, yay, we only lost 1-0. Is that a sign of how bad Arsenal are or how good Man City are? How good Man City are. They're a fantastic team. And I think in 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 previous years and in fact in previous months, they blow us away 4-5-0. We were... We weren't great, you know. I think I, I was hope I was going into this game hopeful, but definitely expecting a loss. Um, and I'm I'm quite happy that it I'm quite happy that it was only one nil. I think it shows progress from Arsenal. The fact that you know they only lost one nil to a fantastic Manchester City side who are running away with the league. And actually, I think it's not actually that much of a bad result for them. To be honest, I don't think it'll dent their confidence to a point. Man City are Man City, they've won 18 on the bounce and again that cycle of confidence for them is going fantastic you know, wins breed confidence and bring more wins and so on and so forth but I'm not concerned by it, to be honest. I mean, I mean, with Man City they were playing at what looked like 50%, they didn't actually look like they were putting full effort into this game Yeah, and that's probably oh, why it was only one and yeah. the other thing that I've been noticing at Man City is actually they've been playing without a, like a recognised striker for the entirety of this year and for a while, it wasn't even Kevin De Bruyne that they were playing as their false nine. They've had Gundogan playing there. They've had Sterling playing there. And Ferran Torres. None of these are recognised strikers, yet they have been scoring so many goals. It's been ridiculous to see this turnaround of form. And it's actually bewildering to think they were not considered in the same you know bracket that we're putting them in now as the arguably the best team in Europe or the second best team in Europe. If you're Two months ago. Yeah, yeah, they really were yeah. not. And that was when they were playing with Aguero and Jesus up front. They've changed the system slightly by just going, well, they're injured or they're just not playing what we want. We'll play a false nine and see what happens. And they've been unbelievable. Mm. They've almost gone to a Guardiola at Barcelona-esque style formation. And I think that's it worked even. They look even more dangerous with that one player dropping off and being able to get involved in the link-up play with uh, De Bruyne in the midfield as well as get into the box. Mm-hmm. There, were, Just there, as, were, yeah. there were comparisons made, actually, between Guardiola's style that he's been employing at Man City now, and I think it was a system used in the 80s by the Dutch national team where they had lots and lots of midfielders on the pitch. And oh, no that 4-3-3. Yeah, no real yeah. recognised forwards. But total anybody football. could. Yeah, total football. Anybody could score. Anybody could run through on goal. And actually, when you think about it, everybody on that pitch you know, in front of the defenders, or even the wing-backs as well, could play in a different position to where they play on the pitch. So it it does make sense that these comparisons are being made between what we just recognise as a 4-3-3 and total football or a false nine sort of Spain-esque at the World Cup uh, sort of formation. I also think their defence has been absolutely key. They've only conceded yeah. 15 goals this season. The next team to have conceded less is... Uh, Leicester, oh no, sorry, Chelsea with 25. You know, this isn't a bad defence at all. And they were criticised at the start of the season for probably not being the best defence, but you've conceded 15 goals in 25 games. That is yeah. 
ridiculous. Is this side, Alex and Harry and that other Alex, um, (laughs) better than the Centurions? Because I think it is, based on defensive stability. Just as creative, just as prolific, but they're solid at the back. They don't... It's not a case of you score four, we'll score five anymore. It's we'll score five, you won't score. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. so fantastic side probably will run away with the league because I can't imagine United or Leicester catching them, bar some, bar an injury maybe to Diaz and Stones, possibly even even then even then no. So uh, I, I unreal though, side. Sorry, I was going to say I feel as though yeah. they saw that title win from Liverpool last year, and that almost sparked a fire in their eyes and a, and a burning anger in their gut mm. to go out and just go they're not they're not that good this is yeah. what good is and they are showing the rest of the Premier League what a good side is yeah. and as much as we in the British media like to say oh Farmers League about Liga and Serie A and La Liga and the Bundesliga they're making this look like an absolute Farmers League this year no, no I mean, league is a farmer's league. Can we stop? No, I'm, I'm saying, like, <laughs> Except for maybe the it. Norfolk Counties Division 1, which I'm sure has 90% farmers in it. I'll have you know it's a very competitive league. Got, no, they've got to do something at the weekend, though. Bless them. I'll let them play football. Anyway... If you are a Crystal Palace fan, I would like to apologise. Brighton won Crystal Palace 2. Mate- Hakuna Matata gained his first goal for the club, I believe. Christian Benteke is going to be 95th minute. We have no time to talk about it. Alex Tamp-Brown, you wanted to quickly talk about the form table? Yeah, um, purely uh, on the basis of Newcastle are not having a good um, run of form. Fulham are having a really good run of form, and you can see that sort of switch there in seven. And the second worst team in the form table are Liverpool who are violently dropping off the top four and dropping off the pace for that for that um, for those positions. I don't see them getting European football if they continue like this. I really don't. Fair enough. Do quickly want to mention two things around Leeds. Bielsa this week said I didn't take Leeds to the Premier League. I manage in the Premier League thanks to Leeds. I just I love him. And also Leeds were playing Southampton on Tuesday and after the game all of the team held up a tribute to Granny Val, um, Carmen Phillips' grandma, who passed away due to COVID this week. Our thoughts go out to everyone connected with the club and everyone who, who knew her as well. And also, very quickly, the referee had blown his whistle. Uh, in fact, he hadn't blown his whistle when he said, go on the whistle. It wasn't a goal. Deal with it. Championship, Coventry 2, Brentford nil. Brentford, after nearly having the fourth longest undefeated one in the championship have now lost three straight sort of having that sort of you know dip in form which they're always going to have eventually because no team can keep up what they were doing forever thomas frank after the game said this is the championship this is going to happen this is an unpredictable league we're going to run into these sort of pitfalls i thought he was absolutely right to say that i'm guessing nobody's really overly worried about brentford i'm not obviously we had this with leeds last year so you know I don't think there's any reason to be particularly concerned. The ref, by the way, changed his shirt at half-time. I quite liked that. He complained, or Frank complained, sorry, that the referee's shirt was too close to Coventry's shirts, so they switched from a dark blue to a bright purple. I just, I've not seen that before. That was quite interesting. Bristol City nil, Barnsley won. Barnsley are now very genuine playoff contenders, and I will not hear another word about it. They've been playing really well. They absolutely deserve to be in that conversation. But the main reason we're talking about this game is because Bristol City have announced their new manager, 
and it's not Paul Cook, and it's not Danny Cowley, it's Nigel Pearson. Um, Alex, you are um, amazed and overjoyed and so happy with this appointment, aren't you? Yeah. I'll be honest, my controversial opinion is that Nigel Pearson didn't do anything with Leicester. Like, yes, they played amazingly the year they got promoted, and... Did they get 102 points in the end, I believe? And yes, he had that wonderful run at the end of his final year with Leicester 2014-15. But when you look at that squad now in hindsight, and you remember that they went on to win the Premier League the year after with only one real significant change, that really devalues what he actually did at the club. Considering that championship squad had, what, four, five regular Premier League champions in it, or the regular starters in the Premier League winning season, that's not that impressive in hindsight. I mean, they did win against Middlesbrough last night, 3-1. They did, and we probably should talk about that. Now, he wasn't in the dugout. Was that's he worth saying. No, he wasn't. And I, I take back my inquisitive question as to whether Nigel Pearson might be good. Yeah. No, I, I don't think this is a disaster. This is not hiring Dave Hockaday. But... I, I think there was better out there. It is better than... We talked about them having Michael Appleton on A Beautiful Game and me and Alex Towles both said, essentially, why would you do that when there's really good managers who you can get for three? Supposedly, he came in, he did his interview and he blew them away with like his sort of knowledge of the squad and what he'd want to do. Kind of like what Bielsa did when he came to Leeds, but that's the first time and last time anyone will ever compare Nigel Pearson to Marcelo Bielsa. Cracking jacket in the announcement picture, by the way, so it's got good fashion sense now. He went on VFL on Quest a couple of weeks ago with a nice jacket and a, and a shirt and some fantastic glasses. So, you know, my man Nigel knows how to dress, but apart from that, I, I feel like there were better highs, and I know, I know it's sort of turned into... I've sort of turned this into a parody of my actual opinion, but... Paul Cook, Danny Cowley, it feels like you could have had one of them. They even tried flirting with Eddie Howe, but that, that didn't work in the end. But yeah, I, I find this a bit of a weird hire, to be honest. It could work, and I'm not saying it won't work, but it feels like there were better out there. By the way, if you listen to the Totally Football League show, which I would really recommend, they sort of pushed this idea last week, George Maxwell and... Wait, is that the correct way round? Ali Maxwell and George Ellick, that's the right way round, where they said both of the new Bristol managers, because obviously Bristol Rovers had recently got rid of their manager as well, should share an apartment and they should make it a reality TV show. That would be Nigel Pearson and Joey Barton. I want this. ITV, get it get it ordered. Anyway, Follow-up to Geordie Shaw that we all wanted. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we'll go through the other games in the Championship that I wanted to mention real quickly. Cardiff 4, Preston 0. The main reason I want to mention this, we talked about it on A Beautiful Game itself. Preston got a penalty in the second half. Paul Gallagher stood up to take it. It was saved by Dylan Phillips. And Gallagher was going to get the, you know, was trying to get the ball back. And in the process was tackled by Aidan Flint for the second penalty straight after the first penalty. Gallagher couldn't take it, Ched Evans stepped up to take it, and Dylan Phillips saved again. He saved two penalties in about one minute, which is absolutely fantastic. Really good. It really did sum up Preston's day perfectly. Cardiff playing really well under Mick McCarthy. They've won all of their last five straight. Absolutely fantastic form from the Bluebirds. Huddersfield force 1-1. Of course, 
I think we all saw this coming. Huddersfield sputtering in recent weeks. Swansea looking like absolutely they were absolutely nailed on for promotion. So, of course, Huddersfield win 4-1 because logic. Swansea had only conceded 10 goals from open play before this game. And then they concede four to a Huddersfield side who were really struggling to score beforehand. Because, of course. If you haven't seen it, watch Dwayne Holmes' goal, uh, the second one. Absolute rocket into the top corner. I'm sure we'll bring that back up in our goals of the week contest later on. QPR 2, Bournemouth 1. QPR playing really, really well. They've won their last four games. Three of those came against sides of the top six. So, from being relegation-threatened to now... I mean, not really in the playoff push yet, but, you know, closer to being a playoff candidate than a relegation candidate, playing really well. And, at this point, I was going to transition into some Thierry Henry news, because Bournemouth approached Montreal to talk about hiring the manager, but nope. They've hired Jonathan Woodgate until the end of the season. Now, he didn't do really well with Middlesbrough. In fact, he did catastrophically with Middlesbrough. He was lying. Sorry, I'll, I'll never forget that. And, yeah... I don't like this. When you're... Oh, go on. It reeks of Bournemouth not being able to afford the compensation to release him from his contract yet. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. That or Thierry Henry just saying, no, I want a bigger club to come for me. Because Bournemouth are, let's be honest, in the championship. The MLS, although it is the MLS, is still a big league. He's at a club that are doing okay. But he's probably looking for a, a, a team in... Uh, a country's top league to take him on rather than Bournemouth who are in that uh, the, the playoff battle in the championship as opposed to you know going to be promoted mm-hmm. so here's my worry about it when you get relegated from the Premier League they're sort of like the clock immediately starts ticking because you get them parachute payments and you know they're, re- they're really big they give you a big advantage over the rest of the league it's really big in the first year slightly less in the second year bit less in the third year, nothing in the fourth year. If you want to get back, if you want to bounce back, and back, then it, you've really got the best chance of the first three years. And it feels like this hire is them saying, we'll try for next year, which would be fine normally. But when you've got the parachute payments, you really don't have the option to wait until next year. You have to go each of the years that you're, you know, within competing. This just feels like a, you know... It just feels unambitious more than anything else. I, I don't think that Bournemouth have been playing significantly well to the point where you can go, Jonathan Woodgate really deserves a second chance. He deserves a ch- second chance in management, but not now, not with this club. So, not great. They are still in the playoff place, but with the way Cardiff are performing, don't expect that to last. Reading nil, Middlesbrough 2. I only really wanted to mention this because Reading are falling apart. Four losses in their last five. They also lost to Wickham in midweek, 1-0. So, you know, HMS, the league, is sinking again. It, it feels like they just keep going through these peaks and troughs at the moment. Sheffield Wednesday, nil, Birmingham 1. Liam Shaw, two really controversial yellows in my opinion. Probably didn't deserve... In fact, no, the, I can't remember the first one off the top of my head, but... Really weird red card. They talked about this on EFL on Quest. They didn't believe it was a red card at all. 
And that's where the championship is at the moment. League table, by the way, Norwich 10 points clear at the top, 67 points. Brentford a second, 57 with a game in hand. Watford third, 57 also with a game in hand. And Swansea with 56 have two games in hand. So obviously that gap should narrow. Though with the way that everyone seems to be a bit scared of getting promoted at the moment, maybe not. Reading on 51, Bournemouth on 49, Cardiff and Middlesbrough both on 46 with Stoke and Barnsley only one point behind them. At the bottom, Wickham Wanderers have 23. They might not end up as the worst team in championship history. you love to see it. Sheffield Wednesday 28, Rotherham 29, Birmingham City 31 and don't rule out Coventry from the relegation scrap there on 34. Bundesliga. As we do our quick roundup of Europe, and we'll start with Mönchengladbach 1, Mainz 2. Marco Rosa looks like he has his mind elsewhere. How strange. He has admitted, actually, that the, the anger from the fans has really affected him recently, so it's not great. Um, Anissi Wo scoring for Mainz was his first goal in 15. He hit that brilliantly. Have a look at that goal if you can find it. Um, Gladbach could really never put together in the final third. I don't think they're failing because of Rosa. I think they just look jaded, they're not energised, they're getting all the basics wrong. It is worth mentioning though that Rosa has been criticised in the past for poor sort of rotation and it feels like that might be the same again and game finished 2-1 because Kevin Stoger once again decided to save the day for mind. He obviously scored the equaliser against Leverkusen last week and yeah they've looked really improved they are finally starting to climb up the table. They're currently 17th on 17 points. They're much closer now to the sides outside of the relegation places. So, really good game there. We'll get on to the big game. Frankfurt 2, Bayern 1. The Bundesliga title is actually up for grabs. You'd love dropped... to see it. No, yeah, I, have surely a... not. I, I now have opinions because I've watched this game. You have uh, opinions watched... on the Bundesliga? Yeah, this is weird. I mean, this is actually the first time I've had opinions properly. The Matrix is broken. Since last summer. Because Covid I has really hit. Video. Oh, yeah. it really has. <laughs> no, I watched that game and I thought, actually, yeah, that's the first time I've ever seen a, the, this Bayern squad just look a bit meh and just look a bit disinterested. Hmm. They just didn't really... I mean, there were times when they looked like they really were going to get back into the game. The goal they scored, which I know Sane assisted, it was a lovely piece of work from him to get the assist, but it was... Yeah, they just didn't look themselves. It, an off day for them. It, yeah, as you say, it's really opened up the title race. Uh, Leipzig mm. have really caught up, which shows what a good manager Nagelsmann's been in recent months. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, there's nothing much Bayern could have done about that Eunice goal. That was absolutely fantastic. It was like art. And afterwards, he's commemorated the Hanau attacks. Hanau... It's actually quite near to Frankfurt. I mentioned this in my following St. Pauli piece because St. Pauli also did a commemoration before the game with Darmstadt in the Svide Bundesliga. But, yeah, they didn't look for themselves. They were very wasteful Bayern. Frankfurt, do we think they could actually finish in the Champions League places? Which I would have never said at the start of the year, but 22 games, 42 points. They are five points clear of Bayer Leverkusen. So, it could happen. It could actually happen. Them and Wolfsburg, that would be fantastic. I mean, it's a possibility they've only lost two games this season, which is, along with Wolfsburg, weirdly the best record yeah. in the Bundesliga. Um, it, it depends what happens with uh, Leverkusen and Dortmund and whether they get their acts together. I'm, I know we're going to uh, later, but... Hmm. Let's talk yeah, about Leverkusen now. I'm oh, sorry, I was just oh, going to say, Luka Jovic having come back 
uh, on loan, I think, in January was actually quite a good mm. move because he's come back and been pretty decent for Frankfurt. Um, but it's a squad that really underperformed in the past couple of years after they were in the Europa League semi-finals against Chelsea, which they almost I mean, got did, through to the final. They did lose 50 goals in one transfer window, so that's probably mm. not... That's, that's never a good thing for a side. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Oh, no, actually, Luka Jovic did play. I thought he didn't show how much of an impact he had in this game. No, he has been brilliant um, this season, in all fairness. So... Yeah, we'll get on to Bayer Leverkusen then. They drew one all with Augsburg. And let's let's face it, the, the way they started this game in the fifth minute with... I don't want to be harsh, but that was pathetic. It was. It was actually... Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the um, Robin Zentner moment, which actually, I believe, came... I oh know it came against Mönchengladbach, actually, now I think about it. If you haven't seen it, essentially what happens is just seen the uh, highlight of it and what on earth what on earth yeah so nicholas lomb he's been there for quite a while i think he's been there for at least five years but he's always been like the backup keeper or he's been out on loan um this is actually his first start for leverkusen and he gets the ball tries to kick it and doesn't and it just it just falls straight into... Well, it just keeps rolling on. Niederlechner gets onto the end of it and, and just slots into an empty net. That is... Oh, Jesus Christ. They did equalise on the 95th minute by Leverkusen. That equaliser coming from um, Tapsoba. So they did get a point, but they are really playing badly. They've really been bad. Anyway, final game to mention from the Bundesliga. Hertha Berlin 0, Wassenbos Bolt Leipzig 3. Only reason I bring this up is there a title race? I, I yes. feel like the answer is yes. Two yeah. points behind. It, there's a title race in the sense that RB Leipzig are there. I still think Bayern Munich will run away with it because every so often Leipzig are going to draw or lose a game that they should win. And Bayern Munich are a very smooth operating machine. And just will win it. But in all fairness, they've not been smooth since that Doha trip. I blame this on Doha. There was quite a good goal in this game. What the Leipzig game? Oh, the Sabitzer, Sabitzer from about yeah. forty yards out. It's a rocket of a goal. I'll be honest. I still think it's it's just, and we'll go on to this later. It's it's like Dwayne Holmes, but slightly worse. Which actually tells you how good Dwayne Holmes's goal was. I'll be honest. I know I laugh at Hertha a lot on this. On this show and others, but they actually played really well for me. I, I think this, we talked about, like, was this Arsenal being bad or Man City being good? This was just Leipzig being really good. So, give them the credit. But, there is actually a chance they go down now. And at, at points through this year, I've been like, yeah, they've been struggling. But, you know, they've replaced the manager, they've replaced the sporting director. So, they'll, they'll be fine eventually. They, they're one point ahead of Mainz in that 17th place automatic relegation and level on points with 16 farming your found in the relegation playoff place so i wouldn't be so sure now you got four teams separated by four points at the bottom there and they're just above that there's not much gap between uh Werder Bremen and augsburg and that scrap uh between the four uh four teams C- can i just point out that i think schalke just need taking out the back and shooting now <laughs> it's, got to, it's got to that point where I just think you're not even. Mince gonna... words, why don't you, Alex? Jesus boy. I'm I don't. Sorry, I don't right. think this is the issue. He, he never gives like a solid opinion. It's always so wishy-washy on the fans. All, all I'm saying <laughs> is, you have 
a derby at home where you are where you need to be fighting for your lives to stay up and you put in the performance that they did. Sorry, I don't know how we didn't mention that. I've just skipped over it. Chalk and Il Dortmund 4. Yeah. Yeah. Riviere Derby. It's your it's your home game against your biggest rivals. You don't turn up. You don't play well. Haaland scores a stunner. Take them out the back. Shoot them. Let them rot in the Zwei Bundesliga because they're not coming back soon with Mustafi and Kalasinac. Mm. Yeah. They've conceded what they do need, six I... goals. Yeah, but what, what they need is six? that they need to be told as of now, like... You're not going to get promoted if you don't win this weekend sort of scenario. And they're going to be the first team to be relegated. Problem is, there's so many games to go. They could still survive. But what they really need is just to know that they're going to be relegated at the end of the season automatically. I think, I think they do. That's fair. I mean, they so. do, but it's not, it's not you know, written in black and white confirmed. Oh, no, don't, don't, be like, don't be like Jolien Lescott where he said relegation. The confirming of relegation is a weight off our shoulders. I, f- oh, I feel God. as though the players for Schalke aren't playing for Schalke, they're playing f- to go, oh, look at me, and they show individual flashes of brilliance so that they can earn that summer move away from the rotting I, I, I to would buy disag- Munich. I would disagree. They're just ta- not good enough. They're not a Bundesliga side. I'm talking this about I- like Matthew Hopper and the players Ma- that actually have a career. Hang on. In front well, of them. Matthew Hopper only came in in November, exactly. and he's the actually the top goal scorer, so it can't blame play- this on him. No, no, the players that have a career in front of them have gone, this is a sinking ship, and I don't want to be a part of it when it all goes belly up. There are some for which I might be true, but it's not Matthew Hopper. As, as a Matthew Hopper, as a member of the Matthew Hopper fan club. Hop, Hopper was just a small example. I so, on Einstein of Orspiel, the only thing I wanted to mention, really, is I, I sort of, I can't remember when this was, but I said, in, my, in fact, no, it wasn't on Einstein of Orspiel, it might have been this year when I said, Dortmund's just sort of toyed with Schalke for the entire game, that was this. That was just this. Haaland's volley, fantastic. And also that was go a and, lovely goal. Go and look at the photoshops online of people <laughs> no, taking dear. that scissor kick. There's one of him jumping into a bath. There's one of him crowd surfing. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of him um, in a kung fu fight. It's fantastic. That, that game did smell of, you know, that of, uh, stop, he's already dead. Yeah, you know, it, it was like that. that bad. It's, it's a cat playing with a dead mouse. It's just, it was terrible, terrible. It's like watching thing George to see. shoot Lenny, really, isn't it? <laughs> can can Schalke see the rabbits? That's the real question. So, Bundesliga table: Bayern Munich top on forty nine points with Rasenball Sport Leipzig second on forty seven. Wolfsburg and Frankfurt complete the Champions League places on forty two. Leverkusen thirty seven, Dortmund thirty six. They round out the European places at the bottom. Schalke have nine. That's not me saying no. That's me <laughs> saying nine. Um, Mine 17 points, Bielefeld 18, as do Hertha. I've had the same number Hertha Berlin have. I do want to quickly touch on the Zwei Bundesliga, if only because Monday night we saw Goethe Firth beat Holstein Kiel in the big top of the table game. And what it means for the top of the Zwei Bundesliga is Hamburg top 42 points, Goethe Firth second 42 points, Bochum third 42 points, Holstein Kiel fourth. 42 points. There are four teams all on the exact same amount of points. Obviously, only the top three have are guaranteed Dash have a chance of promotion, depending on where they finish. So, that's actually quite big. And, of course, I do want to mention St. Pauli have one for on the bounce. And, I do want to mention as well that this Monday, St. Pauli do take on Hamburg in the big Hamburg derby. So, good St. Pauli! La Liga! 
Quickly want to mention Betis won, Hetafe nil. Betis really starting to play well under Manuel Pellegrini. Credit to them. And Hetafe are actually in real danger of going down, which I really didn't expect for Sarbier, but here we are. Alche won, Ibar nil. Big win for Alche at the bottom. Big loss for Ibar as well, obviously. Helping to move Alche towards safety, Ibar. Still very much feel... Uh, I'm not I'm not comfortable. I'm really not comfortable. Let's go on to the big game then from the last match day in La Liga. Atletico Madrid nil, Levante 2. I mean, I, I feel like, obviously it's worth mentioning by the way, that they drew with Levante in midweek. They've played two games in about four days. They drew with Levante in midweek and then lost. So they've dropped five points in the last four days for them, if you go from Saturday through to midweek. That's the same amount of points they dropped in the prior 126. So they really have fallen off a cliff. And it was somewhat inevitable because you can't keep up that level of production. But this is quite worrying. And they were poor in the first half. They did get together in the second half. I would say the result is somewhat harsh. But, you know, them's, them's the breaks, I guess. Out of interest, towards the end of the game, for the second goal, all black goes up. For the corner. That would eventually lead to Levante's goal. Is he brought down for a penalty? I've had a look at this. And I have a, I have a feeling it, there's a bit of a collision there. But the defender is trying to get to where the ball is going. Which is hmm. more towards the penalty spot. Uh, I, I can't even see exactly on the pitch. But he sort of, Oblak obstructs the defender from trying to clear the ball. And they come together and he goes down. Now that could be seen as a penalty... But in what world was Oblak going to get anywhere near the ball? Yeah, that's I fair. feel like Oblak confused where he was on the pitch. I feel like he felt like he was in Atletico's uh, own 18-yard box and would thus get the protection for the keeper that all keepers yet usually get. But since he was acting as an attacker, I don't really see it as a as a foul. Because yeah. I think if a striker does it, it's completely different to if the goalkeeper does it. And it's his own fault he shouldn't have been up there. But I, well, actually, Simeone it's not, was... Yeah, Simeone was frantically motioning him for get, to get up, and he looked really hesitant at first, and then obviously did go up. By the way, I know it's an open net finish, but the actual goal itself for, for oh, Levante second... It, yeah, it was really impressive, actually. Very good finish. Almost yeah. missed. Very almost missed. A very well-controlled um, finish, yeah. Mm, from that yeah, distance. Yeah, Defutos scoring. The first yeah. one was just a bit of a pinball, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I think Oblak should have done a little bit better. But, hmm. but against the league leaders, you'll take any goal you'll get. Oh, yeah, especially, absolutely. You know, especially how solid Atletico Madrid have been. Up until this week, they've dropped five points, you say, in the league and then lost to Chelsea in the Champions League. They actually hit a weird run of form. Crisis alert. Crisis alert. It's not, it's not good. They'll come back from it easily. Yeah. By the way, I did see a post on Twitter which was about the Chelsea game and it was Chelsea have penetrated Atletico's, you know, really solid defence or whatever, and it showed a brick wall to imply how good Atletico's defence was. So, like, they have just conceded two to Levante in two separate games. So, you know, let me cool it on the language. They've been trying to be more attacking. The result has seemingly been less efficiency attacking, which is weird. They were really efficient going forward before, and less stability when defending. They've had no clean sheet in seven. It is worth pointing out the XG, which I feel like we'd use more if Alex Taus is on this show. 
2.79 for Atletico Madrid, 0.87 for Levante. They need a lot of credit, Levante. I know we've been talking about how this game is showing Atletico, you know, sort of maybe falling apart, but Levante need a lot of credit. They played really well in both games against Atletico. They've been playing really well in general. They beat Real Madrid, of course, early in the season. They play really exciting football. And if you haven't seen the new season of Six Dreams, which I say new, it came out months ago, it, one of the people it follows is Paco Lopez, the Levante manager. And he just seems brilliant. I really like him. Uh, he, he, follow him around for the year, and he is absolutely phenomenal. The only person I like more on that show is Alex Tamperam's favourite human being, Santi Cazola, because they follow him as well, and he's brilliant, and I love him, and he's perfect, and I will not hear another word said in any other way. The cover of AS, one of the big newspapers in Spain, after the game said, the league is on fire, which I do quite like as a as a sort of like saying, but the main one, El Mundo Deportivo ran High Liga, which is the thing I tried to say on A Beautiful Game, which is there is a league, essentially. Because now the title race is fully open in Spain. Real Valladolid nil, Real Madrid won. I do want to mention something real quickly, which was like the, the sort of like things going on around the game. So obviously worth pointing out, in the owner's box you had Florentino Perez sat next to Ronaldo, which is just objectively brilliant. But the other thing I found out this week, so back in Zidane's first year in Spain as a player, he was playing for Real Madrid, obviously. They got to the Copa del Rey final in Real Madrid's 100th year, and it's being played in the Bernabeu. This is all coming together perfectly for a really triumphant win for Real Madrid until they lose 2-1 to Deportivo La Coruña. The reason I bring this up is the first scorer in that game for Depor was Sergio Gonzalez, who is the current manager of Valladolid, which I just thought was really fitting. It all, you know, it's all fitting together perfectly. Anyway, Real, even when they play bad, they didn't really play brilliantly in this game. Against the side in the relegation places, they really should be playing better, but... And this is sort of like the key difference between them and Barcelona, and maybe even Atletico. Even when they play badly, they still find ways to win. And this was another example of that. Despite all the injuries they've had recently, they're still doing really well. Apart from that, the game was completely dull. And the only other note I have is Casemiro afterwards said, I feel more pressure playing CSGO than at the Bernabeu, which is just a bit weird. Do like the fact he plays CSGO. Barcelona 1, Cadiz 1. There is an alternate universe in which Barcelona win this game 7-0, if they'd actually been able to take their chances, but they didn't. Ronald Koeman, speaking after the game, said that this hurt more than the PSG game. I would be inclined to agree with that, if only because, you know, for the first time this year, after he admitted a few weeks ago that there was no chance they'd be even close to the title race, the door sort of swung open with that Atletico loss to Levante. And they're going up against a Cadiz side who are playing appallingly recently, and they still couldn't do it. So, I totally get that. Kadif, it was really interesting. Kadif's strategy, they part of the bus, which is not a surprise from the beginning. They essentially had nine defenders. They had, I believe, five at the back. And then four midfielders were all really playing defensively. So, essentially, nine defenders. But even, and, and by the way, even Negredo was playing quite deep as well. Their one attacker. And even when Boss took the lead, they kept parking the bus. Which seemed a bit weird at first, but it was the only way they actually stayed in the game. Despite the fact it wasn't really working, Barca kept cutting them open. Barca had 80% of possession, like 5 million chances. 
But they kept parking the bus, and then, of course, they get that lucky penalty. Well, no. They get that penalty at the end. And it was an Atletico fan who scored it as well, which is... No, no, sorry, he's a Real Madrid fan. Don't mix them two up. They'll get really mad. Messi looked really fed up after the full-time whistle as well. So if, if you have any hopes that he's staying, then they might be slightly going down at this point. Real Sociedad 4, Alaves 0. Alexander Isak getting a hat-trick for Real Sociedad here. Really good performance from him. Um, Barca are apparently interested in spending €70 million Euros to buy him. I don't know with what money, but still, that'd be interesting. It would be a good signing in all fairness. And final game I want to mention, Huesca 3, Granada 2. Huesca, from looking like they were completely doomed, now look like they might actually survive. 19 points, only 2 points behind 17th place Ibar. And, you know, they've got a few vital games coming up against relegation candidates. They played really well against Granada. Credit to them. Looking at the La Liga table before we move on then, Atletico Madrid 55 points, still got a game in hand over Real, who are on 52, Sevilla are third, please let Sevilla enter the title race, I would absolutely love it, Barcelona on 47 and Real Sociedad on 41, looking at the bottom of the table, is Huesca still in last, surprise, 19 points, Real Valladolid lead with 21, Alche 21 and then um, Abar 21, Alaves 22, Atafe 24, Kadifa Nosasuna 25. And don't discount Valencia from the relegation base. Okay, let's move on to Serie A then, and we'll start, of course, with the Derby della Madonnina. Then again, I say, of course, we do these in chronological order normally. AC Milan 0 into 3. What a game. Bar about maybe 10 minutes in both half, Inter completely dominated. They absolutely deserved that win. And all their goals were taken really well as well. Milan's defending was atrocious, like really atrocious for the most part. They did actually get their act together in the second half. I should I should say that I wrote that note in the first half. But we'll talk about the wider implications of this game. But Ibrahimovic, Lukaku, fantastic goal for Inter's third. Ibrahimovic actually applauded it. It was that good. And Opta Paolo on Twitter said, Prior to Romelu Lukaku, the last Inter player to score in four consecutive Milan derbies in Serie A was Benito Lorenzi in 1950. So, obviously Inter now the favourites for the title. I don't know where I was going to go with that. Does anyone else have an opinion? I mean, there's one issue. I mean, obviously it's because AC Milan uh, and Inter Milan were playing against each other. So it's that classic, you call it a six-point game. It's not, but it is because of the way it works. But it means Juventus are still in the background there because they've got a game in hand um, after their game against Napoli, I think, was postponed earlier in the season. Um, and it just, it just means that they're just sitting there quietly at the minute. But I still think Inter Milan are definitely the favourites for the title. But it just means that that Milan derby is just it just has so much more meaning to it, which is brilliant to see. Yeah, and Lukaku I've... is up there for one of the best players in Europe at the minute. Oh yeah, yeah. When was the last time actually? When you said five was four, when was the last time for an derby della Madonnina actually had an impact on the title race? Like it was the top two going against each other. It must be at least a 10, good ten years, years ago, at least. 10, yeah. Years ago, yeah. Mm. Whenever it was the interview. Love the to double. see it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Treble, I'll go on sorry. to the... Oh, go on. Treble, sorry. I, I don't want to take it away from the... 2010, was it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 2009 We'll move on to the next game then, which would have been my game of the day, if, or game of the weekend, if I hadn't picked the Doncaster game. Atalanta 4, Napoli 2. 
all of the goals coming in the second half, which was absolutely fantastic wow. to watch. It was The first half was a bit dull. So I want to start this game, obviously, with the penalty, which was the only thing that happened in the first half. Um, Atalanta player going to the ground. Gasparini got sent off for complaining about it. Here's the thing. It was about 20 minutes after the penalty claim. He got sent off 20 minutes later for complaining about the penalty. And the referee was just fed up of hearing about it for 20 straight minutes. And so we did actually get sent off. And then Gasparini had to go up the, the cameraman as well. It was really weird. But, yeah. Was this a penalty? Because here's the thing. I don't think it is. The replays aren't good. <laughs> it, it, mean, it looks like he just falls over. <laughs> It looks soft. Yeah, if there's contact, if anything, yeah. if there's contact, there's contact, and it it should be a penalty. But he did seem to let the ball run ahead of him a little bit, which mm. is probably why. And he went down quite theatrically. It is also it worth like mentioning opera, as well. Not a football game. If you didn't watch the game, you would have missed this. Atalanta VAR did start to review it because obviously VAR reviewed it. It's its job, and Atalanta took a throw in. Straight afterwards, too fast for me. They should have waited to see if VAR actually wanted to have a referee to look at the monitor. He didn't in the end. Partially because Atalanta took their throwing too fast. And I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Lewis Muriel was shouting at the guy who took the throwing, saying, you took that too fast. We might have had a VAR review for that penalty. So they really stepped in it with that. They should have waited a bit on the throwing to see if VAR were going to refer, to, refer it to the referee, but they didn't. And it really was mind-boggling that they didn't do that. It was like a rush of blood to the head or something. Must have been, like, caught in the passion of it or something, but that's the only reason mm. I can come up with. As Gasparini was when he got sent off 20 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I would also really recommend watching the Napoli goal. That doesn't help. The first Napoli goal, which was scored by um, Zielinski. Because that was absolutely fantastic. And straight afterwards, I can't remember who it was on, but Gattuso... Like, in, in celebrating the goal, like, pushed one of his players in the face. And ESPN FC on Twitter said, is this how Gattuso shows love? And I was like, yeah, this is absolutely how Gattuso shows love. He just shoves someone in the face to show he loves them. It was an absolutely fantastic game after that. Um, Lewis Muriel, one goal every 53 minutes. He might be God. Clinical. Atalanta are good. Atalanta are good, it turns out. They've this is why I predicted them to get a result against Real Madrid in the Champions League this week. Because they're good. Well, obviously you listening to this will know what that result was, but I, I think Atalanta have to actually go in as favourites just because of how injured Real Madrid are more than anything else. Anyway, I do want to quickly mention Benevento nil, Roman nil. Um, James Horncastle on Twitter. Stoppage time in the game. Pellegrini has a shot cleared off the line. Ingarzi goes down the tunnel, comes back out, gets sent off. Al Shabari wins a penalty. VAR overturns the decision. A very dramatic end for a nil nil. Absolutely. And Juventus won 3 0 against Crotone. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring two. Wesson McKenney, who's been playing brilliantly for Juve, getting the other. Are Juventus still in the title race? They could quite, they could quite easily get to second. So, yeah. If they can yeah. quite easily get to second and not first, then they're not in a title race, Harry. In all fairness, they're eight points behind with a game in hand. Yeah, I think, I think they've got. A chance. That constitutes a title race. In all fairness, if you could just get up to second in the Premier League last year, that would not have been a title race. So that argument is a bit weird. Um, I do want to mention before we leave Italy, Serie B, Brescia one, Cremonese nil. 
former Leeds owner Massimo Cellino, took charge of the team from the dugout. Like, Pep Clotet, who is still the manager, I believe, weird, Cellino's gone like four days without sacking someone, was sat up in the stands and Cellino took charge of the team from the touchline. That's the owner being the manager. And to be honest, when he was at Leeds, we always said, one day he is just going to hire himself as the manager. And he has now actually done it. He's actually finally done it. It's kind of like that. confusion in Italian? No, actually, it's not Cellino. It, I'm not shocked. It's brilliant. It's like Glenn Tamplin at um, yeah. Billericay Town. See, for me, it's more like the Jurassic Park meme, which I cannot repeat here because it has words in, but it would mean I'd have to make this E. So, yeah. Oh, but, yeah, but you're fine to do that on my podcast, right? In all fairness, that was absolutely necessary on your <laughs> podcast. We could not have not talked about that. Go and listen to the true. Politicking podcast, which is also another great podcast done by University of Radio York and contains two of us. League Unven, Brest 2, Lyon 3. Um, Lyon were 3-0 up and nearly completely collapsed. But they didn't. They held on. They're still second in the table. I do want to also mention Lorient 1, Lille 4. I I sort of, in pre-game, I said this could be a really close game. Lorient could give them a challenge. So this was my version of Alex Towles saying that Schalke could actually get a win against Dortmund, it turns out. Lille, seventh away win on the bounce. They're playing absolutely phenomenally. We've got to talk about the big game from the weekend. PSG nil, Monaco 2. Monaco complete the double over PSG. Their title contenders. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, they are. They're the outsiders, though. We were discussing this sort of when we weren't recording, how Lille, Leon, PSG and Monaco are sort of going for the title and those four will be wanting the Champions League football um, that comes around next season. And then there's like a drop-off for the next sort of four, five teams that are all battling for that last European place as well in Ligue 1. So there's Mm. so many races going on. It's shaping up to be quite an interesting league this season. Yeah. And I, last year, when I did my best league in the world article for the sports splits, Ligan actually came up first in unpredictability, which I'm sure would surprise anyone who doesn't watch a league. But when you look at some of the teams and where they're placed, that is absolutely fair. Yeah, Lons in fifth and Mets in sixth. Mm. And I believe they were yeah. kind of favourites to finish in the bottom half, if not the relegation zone. How badly yeah. Nice are doing in 16th is appalling. But then there's some teams that you'd expect to be doing well, like Olympique de Marseille. And, I mean, we know what's been going on there, so it explains why they're nowhere near that top four. But there's a lot of teams underperforming by a considerable margin in this league. So I guess unpredictability is justified. Yeah, absolutely. Final thing I want to mention before we go on to our goal of the week. Colin Miller on Twitter. Severe above Barcelona in the La Liga title race. Leicester joint second in the Prem. Rassenball Sport, Leipzig, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt in the Bundesliga Champions League spot. Lille, Lyon and Monaco Iron League one title. None of those eight clubs considered for the Euro Super League. Privatisation of elite football, a bad idea. I completely agree with him. Okay, and it's now time for our goals of the week. I've ranked my five favourite goals of the week. And when I say five, I actually mean six, but... There we go. And in fifth, I'm going to go with Zielinski against Atalanta. We already mentioned this earlier on. A great volley inside the box, as was number four, Erling Braut Haaland against Schalke. That incredible scissor kick. Really nice to see. Third place, I'm going to go with two because they're pretty much the same but different. And Bahambula against Tranmere for 
Oldham, if I remember correctly, and Callum Styles for Barnsley against Stoke. Both sort of with the outside of the foot, curling away from the keeper and into the side netting, essentially. When I say that, I mean in, in the goal, obviously, but like in the side of the goal. Fantastic. Both really, really good. Second, I'm going to go with Dwayne Holmes against Swansea. This was my favourite goal of the week for most of the week. Fantastic hit. It sort of like just bobbles before and it's so he hits it perfectly. Really like aesthetically pleasing. It was fantastic to watch. I absolutely loved it. But first, a goal that was scored on Wednesday night after we actually recorded the podcast properly. My favourite goal of the week was Nathan Ferguson for Southend against Forest Green. You'll notice an AFL theme with this with this goals of the week contest. Maybe that's because the FL had better goals or because they capture my attention easier. Nathan Ferguson, though, from like 27 miles out or whatever, I don't think it was quite that, but from far, 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 far out, what was really impressive about Nathan Ferguson's hit more than any other was just you you expect it like to start dipping at one point you expect it to like lose sort of like altitude I guess but it doesn't it just stays really high up and ends up in the top corner and if you can find the highlights online if you can find the clip absolutely go and look for it because well you'll be able to find it very easily but it was an absolutely wonderful hit and Dwayne Holmes's goal was fantastic, but this was that from even further out, and it was even more impressive. And that's why Nathan Ferguson of Southend wins our goal of the week. Right, new, news then from the week. I do want to mention, we were going to mention this on A Beautiful Game, but the new Sunderland donor, it's 23. I can't remember his first name now. Louis, Louis um, Ricard, uh, former son of a Marseille, son of a former Marseille owner, not former son of a Marseille owner, <laughs> which would be a bit weird. Um, but yeah, 23 years old, he's taken over at Sunderland, really interesting, it's really nice to see that they're, you know, moving back in the right direction once again, after Stuart Donald, it, he, he moved the team in the right direction, I will say that, um, I do want to mention, if you have watched Sunderland Till I Die, Luke 09 has been named the North East Football Writers Association's Personality of the Year, he absolutely deserves it, he, uh, he, he's, he's so nice. It that. does show that that Netflix show has been a good ad for Sunderland as a club to potential buyers. Yes. I would disagree with that. Ryan Shawcross has left Stoke after 14 years. He came in on loan, I believe it was from Manchester United, signed permanently back in 2007, went on to become club captain and mass over 400 appearances. Credit to him. Incredible, incredible career at Stoke City, and he is one of our all-time best players. I'm sure Alex Stanton Brown hates the man after he snapped Aaron Ramsey's leg. Yeah, I, I, I do hate him, but I bet his wife was like buzzing because as soon as Ryan Shawcross is apparently on the move, she's there thinking, "Oh Christ, I'm going to have to go to Burnley or Oldham or yeah, something like Miami. that." Miami, Miami. Yes, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good move. It's a great move for him. He has that great quote, which is about his favourite moment in his career at Stoke, was when they... Uh... They got to play rugby in training, that's what it was. No, 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 it was when they were playing Liverpool, and they went in at half-time, 4-0 yeah, no, up, and everyone was silent in changing room and just started laughing. Five. Was it five? Sorry, even worse. Yeah. Slippy G's last game. Was. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Mundo Deportivo, former Barca defender Jeremy Mathieu said, quote, I felt alone in the locker room at Barca, no one supported me, and for me... This is not football. With Longley, everyone kills him now. I know what he is. You have to try to be positive and turn it around and do your best, unquote. Really quite startling sort of, of quote for me. It, it does shock about the, me. 
because Barcelona are just so cutthroat that I can imagine mm, that they go, fair. you'll sink or swim here. And when someone starts swing, sinking because they've not got the mental capacity to be at Barcelona, I say the mental capacity to be at Barcelona, you know, the pressure is just too much for them. And then yeah. they don't get the support. I can see why said that. I forgot who it was. I think it might be Newsman Dembele who said like when he first signed for Barca, he had just had this weird sense of dread about it. So it is terrifying signing for them. Bramley Moor Stadium looks like it's on the go. The council are giving the green light, despite the protests of some... What What's the right word? Um, conservationists? Yeah, conservationists, who want to keep Bramley Moor as is for its historical context and importance. But... It looks like a wonderful stadium. To it be looks honest, stunning, so. and it's and it's a stadium for a team nice. that are going up in the rankings. You know, fifty-two thousand. Oh, is it? But it's you know, yeah. it's one of those stadiums that's making a statement. Sort of what so Tottenham are trying to do, but then you still need to deliver, as Tottenham have found out. Mauricio Sarri has entered contract talks with Fiorentina, the former Juventus manager. I think he turned down an approach recently from um, Marseille, so he could be going back into football. Neil Lennon has resigned from Celtic. Obviously not a surprise. Do we have any any favourites for the job at the moment? I, I was looking at a BBC Sport article and they uh, were looking at some of the early odds favourites for the, the job. And I don't know who Celtic think they are, thinking that they could either get Rafa Benitez, Wayne Rooney, Henri, Lampard, Roberto Martinez, Eddie Howe. I think they're setting their sights up a bit too high. A few of them aren't entirely unrealistic, but some of them. I think Lampard's are. realistic. Lampard's realistic. That that's a good job for him already. How, but he's supposedly looking for another Premier League job. Um, I doubt Thierry Henry would go to Celtic, but that's another player they probably could go for. Player, maybe maybe John manager. Kennedy, the assistant manager, could take them for the rest of the season. Shock horror! John Terry has been linked with a role at another club. Oh. Oh wow, that's God. a that's a thing right there. I'm sure we'll talk about this more on. On a beautiful game of the weekend, so we won't talk about it for a long time now. But Musiala has declared for Germany the Bayern striker. I am not surprised by this, and I don't think it's particularly that important. But the whole of English football Twitter is having a meltdown. So why I don't know, but still, I don't. I don't think it's that important for England. I think it's more of a plus for Germany than a minus for England, especially with Phil Foden. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Final thing I want to mention, Ben. Forest Green are going to be trialling new shirts that are made of coffee waste. Obviously, a very ideological club when it comes to the environment. They're owned by the owner of of Ecotricity. And they're going to be making a new shirt out of coffee waste. The current shirt's made out of bamboo as well. So they've been trying all of these different ideas. Apparently, Dale Vince says that if we use leftover coffee grounds to make the shirt, then... It will make them more eco-friendly and lighter to wear. So, that's actually really interesting for me. I know Alex Sam Brown is hating it, but... I, I applaud their commitment to the environment. I just hate them as a football club. For We we will one day get to the bottom of this. I've been trying to think recently about like which team I hate for no reason. And I can't think of one. Like, I, my, the I teams like I... I, could, I feel like I it could on. be football manager related. Because I, I had an innate hatred for... I think it was Ned Manua for about four years <laughs> after he skipped training once. Oh, God. So I think it could come from that. 
because I yeah. hold such strong grudges against real people <laughs> who have done nothing wrong in the w- real world, but have done everything wrong in FN. I tell you what, Savvy. Ooh, no, not a fan. <laughs> Coleman, don't like him. <laughs> Hate him. Yeah, so they're going to be wearing that shirt against Colchester on Saturday. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Beautiful Game podcast today. Thank you for listening, and we will be back over this weekend. A beautiful pre-game returns to University of Radio York Saturday at 2pm through 3, and then, of course, a beautiful game from 3 through 5, also on URY. We will see you then, and until then, goodbye. <laughs>